You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere, to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Well, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be with you and share about missions today and challenge you in faith, promise, and all the way. I'm Andy Rotz. I have a wonderful wife, Nancy. She's an ordained minister, loves the Lord, is passionate about it. Three daughters. I'm a founding member of the Fathers of Female Support Group, so even our dog is female. I have come home, opened up the door sometimes, and estrogen just oozes out. So that is my life. I still can't figure it out. I figured that was my first cross-cultural language learning. You know, I, and I'm, you know, trust me, women and men are two different things. And when my wife said to me, I'm just going to teach you this, if you don't understand this, honey, what do you think about this dress? Okay, a man immediately interprets that as she wants an opinion. No, 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 in women's language, that is something totally different. She is looking for one thing. Awesome. Yeah, that's what she is. So. I had to learn Russian and Romanian afterwards, but I already started off with all those girls. And I love them. They are fantastic. They love the Lord. They love ministry. Um, My youngest daughter is already a preacher. Um, She's going to, I say, she's going to be the first female general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. I mean, she is that kind of person. My middle one's going to go into missions. And the youngest one is, or the oldest one, sorry, is going to get married June 30th. That's my first one. I need to start a GoFundMe or something like that because I got one of three going into this. And, um... She's going to go to move into Alaska, Homer, Alaska, and marrying a youth pastor, worship pastor up there. So she is on the far ends of the world. And, but that's, God has been faithful. It always is interesting to see how God leads us and guides us and directs us. I never grew up in a ministry family. I'm not a PK, pastor's kid, or an MK missionary kid. I'm just a CK, a carpenter's kid, is what I grew up. Pound of nails. I'm the oldest of five kids, middle of Wisconsin, packer, backer, all those kind of things. You know, that's... That's what I had to grow up doing, and I never had any dream to go be a pastor or missionary or anything. I just wanted to give to the get a dog and move to the Yukon. That's all I wanted, you know, just me and the Yukon. And but God interrupts our lives, and I think that's really a challenge of anything. Really, there's a sense that when we obey God, when we say, "Lord, I will follow you," nobody has an idea where the Lord will lead us. And I just want to encourage you: always say yes to God. Never. Just get in the habit of always saying yes to God. Whatever he asks you to do, say, yes, Lord, I will do it. Because if we get in the habit of that, we will immediately obey him and follow him in places that we have never imagined. I ended up at North Central, ended up pastoring. I didn't really want to do that, but I, I, God called us. And all of a sudden I realized this is fantastic. Working with youth at the beginning, then pastoring for all these years. And we loved pastoring. I had a great church, and we loved where we are at in Montana, our oldest daughter, all three of the girls were born there. And it's, I mean, it's remote. Where I pastored, my wife went into labor. Then I drove 90 miles to the hospital. Okay, I'm just going to let you know that. It was preparation for the mission field, probably. But we were there, and God began to speak to me one time. A missionary came and spoke at a service and said, hey, and it was preaching about missions. And something just kind of sparked in me. And I came home that afternoon. And I said, Nancy, I wonder if the Lord is going to call us into missions. And it was like, what in the world? Why do you even say that? But it, it started us praying, the two of us really praying and praying about it. And she, she has her whole story of how God spoke to her, and I have my story. And since I'm the only one here, I get to share my half. But I was over at the church early one morning, pacing back and forth. In fact, I think we had the chairs just about similar to these right there. And so I was pacing. I probably was right about here because I was going back and forth right about there. And I hit that spot, and I had my Bible open. 
where Jesus, people give Jesus excuses. So I, I read these, like, you know, the one was, I just got some new oxen, I can't follow you. But the second one was, my father just died, let me go back and bury him. I remember reading that, that word. And it was like the Lord spoke to me at right instantly and said, Andy, quit making excuses. And we're all so good with excuses. We really are. I mean, it used to be the dog ate my homework. Now it's the computer crash. But I mean, we all find ways to make excuses. And so the Lord spoke to me. And I, I said, okay, God. Called my parents a couple hours later. And I talked to my dad. And I said, Dad, I'm thinking God is maybe calling us into missions. And the first words out of my dad's mouth were, why don't you wait until I'm dead first? I am not exaggerating that. I am not exaggerating. I was like, uh, where was that verse I just read? So really, we launched into that and loved, you know, it's an adventure because we landed in Moldova in 2003 with a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a seven-year-old. Our youngest one, her first word was Romanian, apa, which is water. I mean, that was our life. We, we fell into that and you learned to love it. And it was an adventure in a sense we didn't know what the, un- when we landed there with our suitcases, that was the first time we'd ever been in that nation. And I didn't know Russian, I knew just enough Russian to say, Yanni Peniomayo-Praduski, which means I don't understand Russian. And then they said, oh, and then they just started talking to me in Russian, and I still don't understand what you're saying. And we learned Romanian and Russian, and it was an adventure. Hard, times I hated it, sometimes I despise it. I mean, Moldova's got water uh, potholes in the road big enough to do water baptisms in. I mean, it's huge and squatty potties. And it's, it's rustic is a nice way to say it. Time magazine once had us listed as the unhappiest country in the world. It's my, my favorite t-shirt idea. You know, if too much happiness, too much joy, just come to Moldova and we will suck you dry. I mean, that, but it was home to us. And so we learn it and we learn, and we learned to love it. And it was normal to us. And then God called us and spoke to us about going to Russia. Our leadership asked us to move to Russia. Russia is slightly large, if you don't know that. It's one-eighth of the world's inhabited landmass is Russia. I, we lived in St. Petersburg, which meant New York City was closer to me than the other ends of Russia. I could get on an airplane and fly for 11 hours and not leave the nation. It's 11 time zones wide. And we fell in love with it. I went to every corner, to the reindeer people up north, to the Muslims down south, to the Caucasus, the east and the west. And I love Russia. I love seeing what God's doing. It's a tough place. I mean, one and a half percent Christian. But we love seeing God work in the hearts of people. Because the Russian people are amazing. They're wonderful. It's a great nation. And then God spoke to us through my leader, I guess, you know, when he called me about two and a half years ago and said, Andy, would you consider coming back and helping us on our leadership team? So now I serve as a communications director for AG World Missions, which means I'm in a different country almost every month. But the benefit is I get to see what God is doing around the world. And God is doing amazing, amazing things. God is at work around this world. And I'm going to just read a quick quote that I I love. It's out of the wise men of literature, Gandalf and Bilbo Baggins, the Lord of the Rings. And Gandalf is looking at Bilbo, and he says in The Hobbit, I'm looking for someone to share an adventure in, I'm arranging, and it's difficult to find anybody. And Bilbo's response could so often fit those in the church. He said, I should think so. In these parts, we are plain, quiet folk. We have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things that make you late for dinner. I can't think what anyone sees in them. And Gandalf's response simply was, you have a tale or two to tell when you come back. Bilbo asks, You can promise that I'll come back? And Gandalf simply says, no, and if you do, you'll not be the same. 
And I, every time I read those, I think exactly of Jesus standing by the lake. And he looked at the fishermen and the brothers and a couple of pair of brothers. And he said, come, follow me. And they dropped their nets and they left him. They didn't say, what's ahead? They didn't say, what's my 401k plan? Do we have medical insurance? You know, do I have to get a passport? Let me say goodbye. They simply dropped their nets and followed him. And I want to encourage you, even on a mission service at this time, that we are called to say yes to God. I just want to encourage you, say yes to the Lord. Amen? It's amazing to see how God works in our hearts. And really, that's part of my adventure when I say how God led me. But every person here has their own adventure. They have their own story of how God met them, how God saved them and brought them out of the the pit, how God led them. Danielle shared how God spoke to her at university and then how God told her to abandon her career plans and to go on another plan. And if we follow him, keep saying yes. And so that's why even on this thing, I know there's a challenge at the end for a financial commitment. And that's going to come. We're going to talk to you about a financial commitment. But really, saying yes to God is not a financial commitment. It's a a commitment to say, I am going to pray. I'm going to intercede. I'm going to support. I am going to have a heart for the world. Jesus' last words on earth, when he stood on earth before he ascended, is in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, wait in Jerusalem, first of all. You receive power. But then I'm going to wait there so you can be my witnesses in. Do you remember what he said? Four places? It's kind of a circle, expanding circle. They were standing in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. He said, you will be my witnesses in all of these. And he used an and between them. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. I want to challenge you as a church. You have a responsibility to be his witnesses in all four places. Now, you can't clone yourself and be in all four, but you can be invested in all four places, believing, working, serving, giving, praying, so that all four places reach God. They're all important, all equally important, so that we want to see every one of them reached by Jesus Christ. Jerusalem, it's hard sometimes. In fact, what is the hardest place to share Christ sometimes? Where was the one place Jesus was rejected? His hometown. It's hard. It's difficult sometimes to do that. Judea. Sometimes I say the challenge in Judea is that we ignore it. We're so busy going on to the ends of the earth that we walk wide right Judea and forget to plant the church right next door. Samaria. Samaria is kind of interesting because if you look at that, there was, there was history. There was prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't like one another. One of the things that struck me when I come, came back to the U.S. is really how the division still exists so much in America. The racial, the prejudice, the, the, the bad blood that's through history. And I want to challenge you, as a church, we are to be his witnesses to Samaria. There's one place at the foot of the cross where all racial division should end. We need to be the leaders in reaching out and building the bridges across and saying, hey, we are one church. It doesn't matter what color or skin, whatever background is, we are followers of Jesus Christ. Amen? And it's only the church that has that capacity to change the heart. It's only the church that has the capacity to touch our eyes so that we can look at somebody and say, oh, I forgot, I forgot what, what ethnicity they are. All I know is they are my friend. So let's be the church that reaches Samaria. And then the ends of the earth. This is obvious. This is why we're here. We talk about the ends of the earth. And I get into corners of the earth. Sometimes I'm just I'm amazed at the challenges that are there. Every place has got its own challenges. I stood in Brazil in the rainforest with these Indian tribes. 
literally, a guy comes walking up the street to me with porcupine quills coming out of his cheek, tattoos all around, a necklace made of monkey teeth that he had killed. Okay, so this is it. I found out later that his tribe had just killed 20 from another tribe only two weeks before over a battle. And he looked at us and said, hey, why isn't there a Bible in my language? And it struck me. <laughs> We've got to go to the ends of the earth. I was in Laos, and it's so Buddhist. And when we flew off of this little airplane, those that have history and re- remember the Vietnam War, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of bombs were dropped on Laos, that Ho Chi Minh Trail. And as I'm flying off the little town, we're going down to the main capital, you see potholes everywhere still. Decades later, the scars left over from the bombs that were dropped across that nation. But worse than that is you hardly see a church at all. And so you have all these villages, all these cities, Buddhists, so strictly Buddhists, and I say, Lord, call somebody there. And then I go to Japan and Tokyo with hundreds and millions and millions of people and are crowded together in tiny little things. And the, in fact, I think Japan is one of the hardest places in the world to see the people come to Christ. They, they build relationships for years before they can talk about Jesus. But God said, you will be my witnesses in all these places. And I want to challenge you as a church to begin to think that way, begin to pray that way. How can we in this church right here, Bloomington Normal, how can we be his witnesses in the ends of the earth? Amen? God's calling you, and it takes some energy. It's going to take different energy for everyone. To reach your Jerusalem, it doesn't take a lot of energy. It takes you getting up off your chair, walking across the street, and having coffee with somebody, talking about Jesus. It's, it's a risk. I mean, you've got to do it. You can put your Fitbit on and count. You maybe get 500 steps going back and forth to your neighbor. Judea, you've got to put $20 of gas in. We're going to drive over next door. We're going to start building a church. We're going to help out the church plant that's in the neighbor next, next to us, next to, our, next to our community. Samaria, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to lay aside our pride. We've got to say, how can we reconcile? How can we come together? And we become those kind of people. The ends of the earth, it takes more energy. And that's why there's an extra emphasis in your church. Because if we're going to break into areas that there is nothing, it's going to take an intentionality, it's going to take work, it's going to take focused um, energy in that place. It's kind of like, I always use the illustration, between filling up a car with gas and moving a rocket ship out of orbit. You know, a rocket ship out of orbit, they measure the fuel in tons. They don't just pull it up to the gas tank and put in $25 of 95 okay? They don't do that. They, they fill it up with tons of rocket fuel because it's so much energy to break through orbit. When we're going to break into areas that there's nothing, it takes energy. And I don't care if it's a university campus or if it's Laos or if it's Iran or if it's uh, Belgium. We takes energy to break into those places where people do not know Jesus Christ. Um, I was in, in fact, speaking of one of the nations that God is breaking through, it's the nation of Iran. I just was in there about two years ago is when I got to go there, but I just recently heard somebody say again, maybe possibly the fastest growing church in the world right now is inside Iran. God is doing amazing things. Now, we don't have missionaries inside there, but we have missionaries located outside. And what they do is they come, and as somebody has a conversation, they look at these Iranians walking through the park. They're visiting. They're on their vacation. They know. They can recognize them. They look at their shoes and their haircut. And they go, oh, yeah, he's Iranian. Because they're in these nations where they kind of look like one another. But they know, and so they'll walk over there and strike up a conversation. More than once, they'll just talk to them about Jesus. 
over and over and over again, people accept Christ. I mean, it's just amazing how often people come to Christ there. In fact, there were some Iranian leaders, they one time asked them, they said, if you could just freely walk into Iran and talk to Iranians about Jesus on the street, out of ten people, how many would accept Christ? They said, in Iran, six out of ten would immediately accept Jesus Christ. That's how open they are. And three, another three, if you gave them two more weeks, they'd probably accept Christ. That's how receptive the Iranians are. Now, I know there's a control around there. And so we went and visited. I was working on a story, so I wanted to go in and see Iran. Flew in there. I had a little apprehension, you know, hoping it was a round-trip ticket, not a one-way. You know, I had no idea. Because Iran, you kind of hear Iran. And I had a lot of people, are you sure you want to go to Iran? Yeah, we got a visa, let's go. You know, and I, I talked to people who knew. They said, let's go, go. And I went in. It was amazing. People from the airplane to uh, somebody on the, the bus as I was going up to the terminal, the friendliness. They said, welcome to Iran. Talked to me about, wanted to invite me over for dinner. They shared all their life. We walked in, had my passport stamped, and walked right through. And over and over again during the next week, we would meet Iranians all up. It was their New Year's, so they would come down, have a cup of tea with us. They'd, they'd throw these little blankets on the ground everywhere and just have a pot of tea, and we'd sit there and have sweets. We would talk to them. Over and over again, when they found out I was from America, they would say, oh, thanks so much for coming to Iran. Can I get a selfie with you? I am not exaggerating that. I've never been in a friendlier nation toward Americans than Iran. If I had only had $20 for every time I took a selfie, I could have bought a silk rug. I could not afford a silk rug other than that, but it is amazing. And I challenge you because never let the nightly news drive your interpretation of the Great Commission. The nightly news says, God loves the rest of the world, but he hates Iran. God loves the rest of the world, but he hates Russia. For God loves this world. Never let the nightly news drive your interpretation of the Great Commission. Jesus said, I will go into all the earth. You will build my church. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Not just to places that we like. Not just to places that have the good food. But to the ends of the earth. Amen? God has called you to do that. One of our Iranian, um, Iranian friends who was on the team there, he was kind of sick and he was ill. And so he didn't have a chance to go out with the team as they were sharing on the street. So he was kind of complaining to God. He was up in his apartment. The doctors had sent him home, said, you have to stay there. And so he was there kind of frustrated, and he was kind of belly aching. and finally the Lord said to him, he said, why don't you just walk outside and go sit down outside, in the, outside your apartment? So he got up out of his apartment, walked down the flights of stairs, and sat on a little bench outside his apartment. And he no sooner sat down there when this Iranian man, I mean, he's in Armenia, so this is another country, an Iranian man walks up to him and says, are you a Christian? Just like that, pointed his finger. Uh, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, good, I knew I was supposed to come here today and somebody would tell me about God. And over the next 15 minutes, that team member shared with him about Jesus Christ. He talked to him about it. In that moment, they prayed together, sitting on that bench to accept Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to see. You know how they're discipling? Through WhatsApp. They take their phone, they're texting back and forth, they disciple through their messaging, they can't get in there. One man, he said, it was an interesting, this Iranian leader, he was outside Iran right now, he laid out a map of Iran and he took some coffee beans and he put them on little spots, and he said, these are the towns and the villages where I've led somebody to Jesus Christ. 
And that's where they're living. And then he took another handful and he started laying out hands all around. And those are the places where they've led somebody to Jesus Christ. And now I'm discipling via text messaging all the way through. God is at work, folks. God is doing something around this world. And God is using the missionaries that you are sending to just plant one seed. And it's amazing to see where it grows. Amen? I was also in um, Europe not that long ago. In fact, we've got some uh, worldview magazines back there. And see if you can find some. There are different covers and different ones around here. Grab them. There, this is a fantastic way to hear what God is doing around the world. This one here actually shares a little bit about this, the one man I meant. We changed the name in here, but I'll tell you his real name is Michael. Michael is from a Middle Eastern country as well. And he made a statement to me when I met him. I met him in Vienna. And he said, I always had a heart for God, but the only God I knew was Allah. Now that's just a sobering thought. When you realize there's so many people that have never once heard about Jesus Christ. They've never once heard the name of Jesus Christ. They never knew who he was. So the only God they know is Allah. The only God they know is secularism. The only God they know is Buddha. The only God they know is the thousands of Hindu gods sitting in that temple. But his thing is, the only God I knew was Allah. So I became a devout Muslim. I studied. I, I was devout. In fact, I even made my pilgrimage to Mecca. And when I was in Mecca, I heard hands being chopped off of some thieves and the tears and the screams and something snapped on the inside. And I said, that's my religion. So I went back home. Got a visa and went to London to study for business. And while he was there, he was coming home one day. And there was a girl, a British girl, who was coming and sharing her story or testimony. And, and he rejected her said, I am a Muslim. And she looked at him and said, well, God, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And he just rejected that. Went back home, percolating all these little pieces, all these little pieces. He was one of those people that had to flee the country. And you remember that thing in the news, those troops that were pouring across into Europe and migrating across. And he was one of those that got across, got on a boat all across the Mediterranean Sea, worked his way up into Europe and was in Vienna. And the very first day he was in Vienna, he was in the subway station, the metro. And this Egyptian woman walks up to him. Says, hello, where are you from? I'm from Iran. Oh, wonderful. We have a lot of Iranians in our church. Why don't you come with me tomorrow? So he said, okay. They arranged to meet the next day. Went back there, led, took him to church that day. And as he's standing in that service, he says, I remembered standing in the service, first time I ever heard worship in my life. First time. And all of a sudden, all those memories from the past started flashing back. I remembered, I saw myself standing in Mecca and hearing and my disillusionment with the faith. I remember that British girl coming up to me and saying, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. I remembered that. And when the altar call came, I ran to the altar and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And today in that church in Vienna, there's over a hundred that I knew. That was when I was there. Iranians that have come to Jesus Christ. Amen? It's amazing to see what the Lord is doing and how God is using his people. He really is. I'll share another story about a, a woman in northern Kenya, Maria. Maria was a grandmother. Well, I don't know if at this time, she's now a grandmother, but she was a mother at that time with some kids, a single mom. Her husband had gone. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure if he died or just abandoned her, but she was just by herself, and the church reached out to her and her family, and they came to Jesus Christ. I mean, they came to faith. She loved Jesus, passionate about Jesus. I was with her in, in Kenya because she's an was the instrument to see one tribe come to Christ more than anybody else. So Maria 
was part of the church, and one day she went over to this missions conference that they had, and she heard somebody talk about missions in their church in Nairobi. And her heart just broke. She started to weep because they were talking about these unreached tribes in Kenya that there is no church at. And she just cried and wept. They shared this illustration about this little African hut, and there's a vulture outside, and there's a baby crawling out. And they said that baby is like the unreached tribes, and that vulture is Satan. Until somebody come, if somebody doesn't rescue that baby, that vulture will come down and devour it. And it just broke her heart, and she sobbed and sobbed. And went to her pastor the next day and said, I, I need to go. Let me be a missionary. And he looked at her and said, no. You're a woman, a single mom, not a pastor, not trained. No, you cannot go be a missionary. He rejected her. Now, uh, I'm always in respecting pastors. Respect your leaders, respect your pastors. But I'm going to tell you, sometimes if the Lord has put a call in your heart, occasionally you will have somebody say no, and you've got to just keep praying and pressing through. So she prayed and prayed and prayed. Months go by, maybe another year. She comes back again to the pastor again. Can I do it? Can I do it? No, you don't have the finances. We don't have the finances to send you. No, you're not going to go. It never left. The burden never left her. So she finally, months later, her small women's group said, hey, we'll give you some money. And so they collected some money. She had enough money to buy a bag of groceries, two bags of groceries, a bag of groceries for her kids to leave behind, and a bag of potatoes for herself and a pair of shoes. So she'd have some shoes. She went to her pastor and said, I now have money. Can I go? And he says, I, I feel like it's the persistent widow that kept knocking, you know, that biblical one. Yes, go. You can go. Just go and, and bless them. So she went to the north part of town, got on a, a cattle truck. And, you know, you've just seen those big wooden trucks with the metal rails that go over top. You know, they're moving sugar beets. or I mean, you maybe see them. She got on a hitched a ride on one of those, sat on top of this, and for 20 hours on a gravel bumpy road went to the far north of Kenya. She got off in the middle of the village. She wanted to reach the Rendili tribe. The Rendili people, it's an unreached tribe, animist tribe. They worship, you know, not God. We're not Muslim, but they're animist. And so she is there, got off, middle of the night. She stayed at the police station right there. They're at the edge of the city, edge of the village. And she said, is there anybody I can stay with? Just wait here over the night. We'll talk to you in the morning. We'll find you a place to stay. All night long, she preached to the policemen. And in the morning, they were so ready to get rid of her. Yes, yes, we'll find you a place. There's one guy that we think is a, is a Christian down here. Go down and talk to him. So she went down to the, worked her way down to the village. And the man was there. His wife had just given birth. And she says, I'm Maria. I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm trying to start a church. Can I, can I stay here? Because we have nothing. It's just my wife and I and this baby. And, but if you would help me with, my, with the, our situation right now, my wife is very weak. Yeah, you can help us. So she said, okay, I'll do that. So she started making breakfast. And she made breakfast. A man comes up to the thing. He's the crazy man of the village, okay? You know, you're always going to have a crazy man. And we know he's demonically possessed probably. But he was a crazy man. And everybody in the village when he comes just picks up rocks and throws rocks and drives them away. So the pastor is getting down, picking up a rock to throw it at him. Not your greatest evangelism technique, okay? You know, don't try this. Oh, somebody's trying to come into the church. Oh, just throw rocks at them, you know. Um, but she, she goes, well, well, just wait a second. Let's just wait. Let's bring him in. So she brought him in, sat him down. She took the porridge that she was saying and had, prayed a blessing over it, came down and fed it. And he ate it, got up, and walked away. Next morning, he comes back. And he's talking in his sane mind. He says, I don't know what happened. What's going on here? And the pastor's eyes are this big, and she's, you know, they're like, what, what's going on here? 
And the pastor and her led him to Jesus Christ. Even the pastor had explained to Maria, spiritual warfare. They prayed for this guy. He accepted Christ, cast the demons out. I mean, it was a deliverance time right there in that moment. Well, the next day was Sunday. So they're going to have a meeting together. Now, the church at this point had been the pastor, his wife, and a baby. So I guess with the baby, that's pretty good percentage growth just there, you know. Adding Maria, hey, now we've doubled. Come on, this is a massive church growth. And now the crazy guy, okay. So the crazy guy's coming. The five are going to come together. Everybody in the village gathers right now. They're all, they, what's going on here? They gather around, huddle around. And so the pastor says, Maria, why don't you preach this morning? She says, I, I, I only know one language. I can't speak into the Rendili tribe. But is there somebody here who could interpret? <laughs> there was one person who could interpret. You want to guess who? The crazy guy, yeah. And they preached that day. And today there's a healthy, strong growing church in that village. In fact, there's an organization, it's called Joshua Project, that they keep track of unreached tribes around the world, okay? There was a ceremony not that long ago that they declassified the Rendili people as unreached because now 20% of them are Christians, simply because a middle-aged woman said, would not take no for an answer. God wants to do amazing things, and he wants to use you. When we landed in Moldova, we encountered the issue of trafficking. My wife started a home there called Freedom Home, Project Rescue Home, helping girls who had been trafficked. And one of the girls that came in, I'll change her name to Amy, but Amy and Veronica, her little one-year-old daughter, came into the home. So Amy is broken, sold by her mom when she was 13, beaten, prostituted, raped, all kinds of horrors upon horrors upon horrors in Moscow. We found her she was passed out drunk behind a bus stop, and she was broken. She's shattered. And I, I always say, this is my Lazarus, because I, I, she was in the home for a year, distrustful, kind of like a dog that had been kicked far too many times, and always nervous. But after one year, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior, and I saw light come back into her eyes. I saw a resurrected light. This is Lazarus. I saw Lazarus come out of that tomb. And her little daughter was one when she came in, and I'm going to jump ahead now she's third grade and little uh, little amy she was so broken so so broken it's shattered pieces that are just destroyed there's nothing you could do only the holy spirit could do something and it was another year down the road she was baptized in the holy spirit and so i saw smiles come on her face and even months after that i remember the time we came back over and it was like what's wrong what's going on with amy it's like the old amy was back the darkness in her face she said every time she'd lay down at night, she'd hear these demonic voices, suicidal thoughts. Why are you with them? Why are you with those people? You should not, you should leave them. Really suicidal. You're not worthy. You should not be there. And so Nancy and I prayed the one night. We came back the next day. and about 15 minutes, we just said, hey, Amy, we just want to pray with you. And the two of us prayed. We just prayed and prayed and prayed. And there was no fireworks or anything like that. But about 15 minutes later, Nancy stopped and said, Amy, what are you thinking? And Amy just smiled and said, oh, it's going to be okay now. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, when you were praying, I opened my eyes and Jesus talked to me. Oh, okay, that's wonderful. What did he say? Now, you've got to recognize, Amy had probably fetal alcohol, has been beaten. She never can remember. She forgets the languages. She talked to me in Romanian, Nancy in Russian, even if we know the opposite language. She always does that. But she looked at Nancy and said, Jesus said to me, do not be afraid, do not fear. The demon is gone. Do not be afraid. Nancy said, okay, I want to hear that again. <laughs> And she said it exactly verbatim. We got a, a staff member to come in, another Moldovan, and her Bible. We wrote it down 
verbatim on that. And I, today, I was just there about three weeks ago, because we got Amy in a home with her daughter, just being mothered by a grandmother, and they both came running up to hug me. And when they hug you, I realize I'm holding something in my arm that is priceless. You know, it cost me blood, sweat, tears, lots of money, a lot of sleepless nights, hair I could not afford to lose. But, you know, it, it is worth it when you hold in your arms a life that is transformed. And see, that's what missions is about. It's God is putting back together such brokenness. It's like the teacup. There's a St. Petersburg, China company called Lamanosov, and they're fantastic, the Tsar's China. And if you drop one of those on a tile floor, they're in a million pieces. I can't glue those back together. I can't. I've glued plenty of things with three kids. Man, I've glued heads onto Barbies and Polly Pockets and all those things. I can glue stuff together, but not when it's in a million pieces. Only God can do that. But every time I think of that, I think of Amy. I remember the Genesis story when man was made, and God says they formed the dirt into a pile. And I think of that, the dust of all of our brokenness and shatteredness, and Lord breathed life into it. And there's a life that is changed. And even on this faith promise, even as we look at the kingdom builders' commitments, as you're making a commitment toward missions, there's a face that's on the other side, a name and a story. There's people, their lives are changed. And Danielle shared some names right here of somebody who's invested on a university whose life is changed because somebody said, I'm going to invest. There's Amy and her daughter, Veronica, who's going to be an airplane pilot someday, the Lord willing. You know, I'm committed financially to get that girl through university. We're going to see a generation changed. And it's, there's a life that has changed. It's why we believe in missions. It's why we believe. As I was standing here in worship today, um, I felt like the Lord put a word in my heart, and so I, I said, God, I'll change it. <laughs> I'll share it if, if I still have that burden by the time I get to the end of this sermon. And I just feel like the Lord is trying to say there's a lot of voices that you're hearing. And this is, this is not in my sermon, okay? Um, there's a lot of voices that you're hearing. And maybe there's somebody in here who says that, you, that you're hearing a voice that says, I am worthless. I could never be used. Andy, you don't know my past. You don't know what was done to me. Maybe there's voices that you say, I could never be, I could never step out in faith. And you're hearing voices that say you are worthless. And there's somebody here that that word is for. And I, I just want to tell you that the Lord looks at you and he doesn't see a middle-aged woman or an old man or a young kid, or somebody who's uneducated or educated, he's looking at you and he says, in this group I see a son and a daughter of, of the king, and I want to use you. Not everybody here is going to sit on a cattle truck in 20 hours to the north part of Kenya, but God wants to use you. And I'm, I'm just saying that word from the Lord to say that is not from God, those voices that you're hearing. It's the devil trying to defeat you. And I don't know if it's suicidal. I don't know. All I know is there's voices that say, I am not worthy. And I just want to speak against that. That the Lord wants to use you. And so that really is my thought today. In this mission service, in this mission's time, do you remember that the Lord wants to use you financially? The Lord wants to use you in prayer. And the Lord wants to use you to say yes. If some of you here say, yes, I will go. I want to make sure you find me afterwards because the Lord has his hand on you. Let me just pray a short prayer over you. God, in this room, in this stillness right here, I know through your Holy Spirit, you can speak to a heart. And God, I don't know what that word of the Lord was that was given to me, who it was for, or what it was about, 
But Lord, I know that we often hear these voices that, that tell us our limits, what we cannot do, what we're unworthy of, that we are failures, that we're worthless, that we don't have the ability, we don't have the education. Maybe there's voices of fear that come into our heart. And Lord, right now, I pray against that in the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray right now a spirit of courage will come upon every heart here, that every heart will step forward, and that whatever you tell them to do, they will say yes. Lord, if it's walk across the street to talk about Christ with their neighbor, they'll say yes. If it's volunteer to work as a greeter, they'll say yes. If it's to go to the ends of the earth, they'll say yes. If it's to give $5 or $50 or $100 or $500 a month, Lord, it doesn't matter. Just help us to say yes to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1-A-G-B-N to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.